It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Doug Ford and his developer buddies. That has been one of the most persistent phrases that opposition parties and other critics have used to critique Ontario Premier Doug Ford since he took office and even before that. And now, thanks to reporting from last week, it's no longer just an opposition catchphrase or an allegation. After evaluating whether it was above board for Ford to have invited a fleet of lobbyists and developers to his daughter Kayla's stag and doe last August, for which $1,000 donations were requested, Ontario's integrity commissioner told Global News, quote, the premier confirmed that those guests, identified as developers, are personal friends. So that's Premier Doug Ford admitting that his developer buddies are actually really, truly, yes, his buddies. What this stag and doe saga reveals more than anything else is that Doug Ford is not above using his elected office to personally enrich his family. There were lots of things you could say about Ford before last week, but there was no evidence that proverbial sacks of money with dollar signs on them changing hands in Etobicoke backyards was part of his modus operandi. Well, I mean, not since he was allegedly a mid-level hash dealer as a teenager, at least. Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I have never been to a stag and doe. That's not very Ontarian of me. I need to get in on these raffle tickets. I want a new cooler. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and I did attend a stag and doe once over 15 years ago and was puzzled to have not been subsequently invited to the wedding. This is Wag the Dog, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. 
Last Thursday, Global News published an article online with the heading, Integrity Commissioner Clears Doug Ford After Developers Attend Daughters Stag and Doe. But that superficially dull headline was actually the first firm piece, the keystone perhaps, in what is almost certainly the biggest Ford story in, I wouldn't say in memory because we remember things, but, but certainly in a while. So this month, we are dedicating our whole episode to discussing this roughly 1,600-word rich web of a story, the fallout it's already caused, and what could be to come. Jono, do you want to start by breaking it down? I feel like once the phrase uh, Ford family compound is evoked, that's basically your bat signal. So in August of last year, Premier Doug Ford's associates invited lobbyists and real estate developers to a stag and doe. It's fun to keep saying that. Stag and doe fundraiser ahead of his daughter Kayla's wedding, asking guests to donate up to $1,000 to attend. The event was held in the backyard of the Ford family home in Etobicoke, which had belonged to his late mother, and then his nephew had lived there, and I think his brother had lived there for a while, maybe still does. But it's where Doug Ford recently moved back after selling his nearby house after the June election. The guests were also asked to buy $150 raffle tickets for a variety of door prizes. From what I know, this is standard stag and doe fare, a couple trying to raise money for their marriage celebrations. But what is less standard is a quite wealthy family shaking down people for a stag and doe. Also, a $1,000 donation for a stag and doe seems really, really high. Like, I think you're usually in the, like, uh, 50 bucks, 100 bucks range for one of these things. It, it does seem high, but I mean, you know, think of what they're getting in return. It's been a while since I've been to Ford's house or backyard or anything. But I mean, when I was you know, there, they would serve uh, Cool Beer. Remember that brand, Cool Beer? Made in South Etobicoke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Surprisingly good stuff. <laughs> like, like the best cheap brand. I mean, rich people are weird. Yeah. So my understanding is that that this type of party, it's like an old school Ontario thing, I think. It had its origins in like legions with toonie raffle games. And over the past few decades, as the wedding industrial complex has ramped up to greater and greater heights, the stag and doe tradition has sort of grown alongside it, at least in Ontario. So what was once a simple kind of party that, like, allowed the community to pitch in to help young people fund a wedding is now a rite of passage for a lot of couples that want to have big fancy weddings and honeymoons but can't afford it. And it's weird. It's one of those things that you can look up and look at the Wikipedia article and and you see, like, oh, the first thing is, like, Southern Ontario tradition is, like, I didn't know that was particular to here. Yeah, so it's all to say that it's odd for Kayla Ford to have one of these parties because her family can afford to throw her a wedding. You know, but why pay for something yourself when you can get others to chip in? And in this case, you know, the lobbyists who were invited uh, told Global that invitees were browbeaten into making donations and buying tickets for door prizes. Who gets browbeaten into buying a ticket for a door prize for something that's not even like a charity? I guess if you're funding a hospital, but that doesn't even— How did they get the door prizes? That's another question. Other sources said it felt dirty and described it as pay for play. Yeah, this piece is interesting to me because once you start losing the lobbyists as a government, you're you're doing something wrong. Like this happened with Kathleen Wynne's government, too, with her whole cash for access scandal. Even the people whose job it is to engage in whatever pay for play they possibly can got sick of it and started leaking details about $30,000 dinners with cabinet ministers to the globe. Normally, you don't turn down the chance to go to the premier's house, one source told Global, but it felt dirty. The whole thing calls to mind, like, well, one or actually several Rob Ford scandals uh, over the years, in particular, one of the more infamous ones where the one that 
indirectly ultimately led to him being booted for almost booted out of office, uh, where it was a thing where he had uh, solicited donations to his football foundation. He had coached a high school football team, of course. He had set up a private foundation to help, you know, fund or support their equipment and facilities. And he raised money for it in a variety of ways and partly through because of bad record keeping, but mostly just because he didn't care. He would often just like blast out requests for donations to all kinds of people with whom he had all kinds of relationships or perhaps even no relationship. Uh, it started off the complaint to the integrity commissioner at that time. This is back in 2010. So back when he was a counselor, it started off from just like some person getting this request on counselor letterhead. Um, the integrity commission report said, you know, the complainant ha- didn't have any, hadn't had any prior communication with counselor Ford, didn't reside in his ward, did not know how he got his home address. But when the complainant became aware that counselor Ford announced his candidacy for mayor, the person wrote, this left me uncomfortable. While it was not stated in words, there was a clear sense of an implied suggestion that a donation to his charity might serve me well should he be elected mayor. And then when the integrity commissioner looked into it, they decided to sort of cross-reference the the various donations with, you know, the records of the donations with the lobbyist registry and decided, you know, realize, oh, shoot, there's quite a few cases here where people who were lobbying Ford or were about to lobby Ford were, were giving, were responding to this solicitation. I mean, basically, trying to explain to Rob Ford what he had done that was improper was resulted in some of the most amazing passages that have ever been written in government reports. But but just to read a portion of this, which I think gives a lot of insight into how Rob Ford and arguably Doug Ford does and doesn't think about these things, the lobbyist commissioner has basically got to a point where he was trying to had to talk to Ford like a child. So he wrote, during our initial discussions, a hypothetical example was given to Councillor Ford of a lobbyist perhaps believing that a donation to the foundation could lead to a favorable outcome on behalf of a client. Councillor Ford declared that he cannot be, quote, bought, and that people know that about him, particularly because of his wealth. Councillor Ford was not able to agree that such a request could be perceived as a use of influence if it was received by a lobbyist or an organization seeking to do business with the city, or by someone like the complainant who felt uncomfortable receiving a direct appeal for funding from a councillor slash candidate. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the wealth... I mean, we're kind of going to get to this, but the, the wealth aspect is interesting because in some ways, like, it does perceive in some ways that a wealthy person doesn't need to get more money because they already have some. But like we've seen that blown out of the water. You know, I mean, Donald Trump being a famous example, like, you know, his government, his stupid hotel in D.C. like surged in business when he was the president because all of the dignitaries and people that wanted favors from him would mm-hmm. stay in the hotel to like make him happy. So it's like there's lots of ways this can happen. Yeah. And the amount like this can, being amount, rich does hmm. not exempt you from doing it. That's for sure. Yeah, and the amounts in the, in the case of the football foundation were quite small. I think it was like fifty to a hundred bucks, or fifty to five hundred bucks, or something. So like simple, like the money itself is not the buying the influence. It's the being seen to be giving, contributing, stepping mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it's basically the being seen to be to be giving something and trying to get Rob Ford to understand that, you know, the integrity commissioner and, you know, several city councils, full city councils trying to sort of explain to him why this was inappropriate. It didn't really get through that. And it got to a point where the council ordered him to pay back the money and he just refused to do so. But it even got to a point where the lobbyists themselves were like, please pay us back because we were not, they weren't allowed to lobby so long as like they were basically oh, like, in debt to him uh, and they were like, give us the money back and he just wouldn't. 
<laughs> he just wouldn't um, to the point where, you know, council eventually voted to rescind the order that he pay back the money and his participation in that vote. Like, so this is after he became mayor. One of his allies said, well, he shouldn't have to pay back the money at all. And that won, but he participated in that discussion, that vote. And that was the whole conflict of interest thing that led to him being briefly removed from office before that was reversed on a technicality. So, but that's just like the fruit, like then it just goes on and on. Like then, like within, I think it was like within days of that decision being reversed and him being sort of restored, like his mayoralty being restored, more lobbyists got letters, uh, (laughs) more lobbyists got letters of like soliciting donations to the Football Foundation. They said, well, no, those were mailed before. And it's just... It just went on and on. There's also the things with came out a few years later with Rob and Doug Ford having as clients of their label business, Deco, various businesses that were had different particular interests in the city, including like Porter Airlines and all sorts of things that they were simultaneously working to solicit business from or doing business with at the same time as they were making decisions at the city. And it just it just doesn't it just doesn't occur to them that there is something improper about this. Either like it's a totally separate professional relationship or like it just, you know, you see it in Doug Ford's response here. It's just like whatever ethical lines that one would typically draw or, you know, the things that we'd have, these conceptions that would separate, at least theoretically separate various kinds of interests from one another, they see themselves as so inherently virtuous that why would you why would you think I would do anything that is course, less like, than above board? Ed, well, exactly. Like, I don't but care like, how you see it. I know it's not wrong. Right. But that's why we have ethics laws to begin with yes. because people do not perceive their own actions or just don't give a shit. But for a narcissist, I mean, yeah. their, their self-perception is everything, right? Absolutely. Nothing anyone tells them otherwise is going to change that. So while we don't know exactly who attended the stag and doe, Doug Ford himself, as we said off the top, told Ontario's Integrity Commissioner J. David Wake that developers did. So to repeat, Ontario's Integrity Commissioner told Global News, this is how we know that, the Integrity Commissioner told Global News, the Premier confirmed that those guests identified as developers are personal friends. Hence this question from The Globe's Laura Stone at a press conference on Friday. Can you can you disclose to Ontarians which developers you are personally friends with? Well, you know something? Okay, so I know hundreds of developers. I know hundreds of private sector folks. I know hundreds of uh, healthcare workers and police officers. Uh, and I, I believe in growing the, the province. I believe in getting builders here. Just imagine if we didn't have builders that go out and build homes and build businesses and build infrastructure. Uh, we wouldn't be in the spot we are in Ontario. <laughs> oh. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, we would just be no one, a pile of sticks <laughs> if we didn't have. We developers. weren't all friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I must imagine, like I don't know, the hands across America. Thing. If we weren't all holding hands, what would the, where would this country be? We wouldn't um, have a roof over our heads right now. I, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, who genuinely believes they have hundreds of friends? I don't think he genuinely sees. I mean, maybe just the direction, the question of what a friend is. But it's like, it's like you know, you look at your Facebook friends list and actually mistaking every single one on them for. An actual friend is like I know hundreds of developers. I'm sure he does. Are they all your friends? Really? Is that is it worse if they are? Or if they aren't? I don't know. That afternoon, the Star reported on the seating plan for Kayla's actual wedding next month in September, which included property developer Mario Cordellucci dining at the same table as the premier. Cordellucci has benefited from at least five 
MZOs, MZOs, ministerial zoning orders that cleared the way for development on his land holdings, including a project in Innisfil called The Orbit. Which is controversial because it's supposed to be massive and there's like nowhere to pump the sewage for it or any way to like link it up to anything. And everyone's like, it's the project of the future. And Does it circle Innisfil? Is that why it's called The Orbit? No, it's just like kind of generally shapey. <laughs> shapey? <laughs> Cordelucci also owns seven parcels of land directly abutting the PC's proposed Highway 413, which are projected to skyrocket in value once the roadway is developed. And as we talked about before, the PCs appointed him to the York Region Police Services Board, and it, that was just six weeks after this wedding day. According to the seating chart obtained by the Star, developer Shakir Ramatula was also in attendance at the wedding. Land owned by this company, Flato Developments, was pulled from the Greenbelt like four or five weeks after the wedding. So that can now be built on, uh, increasing its value likely by tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. His company has also benefited from multiple MZOs. Craft Development CEO Carmen Negro uh, was also seated at the premier's table. He used to head up fundraising for the PC party, has received patronage appointments from the Tories, but who hasn't these days? Uh, but in his case, those were to the LCBO board and the Ontario Place Corporation. And his firm also received an MZZO in 2020. So Ford is saying that he's friends with the developers he's doing favors with, like, which is not a surprise because we knew all these people were getting a lot of favors. <laughs> but like fully now that we know he admits they're friends, like how much of a difference does this make? And I mean, the money part, I think, definitely makes a difference. But like, I guess it's like, like you know, his developer buddies was a metaphor. A metaphor, before. right. And now it's just the truth. So. But, I mean, well, I mean, arguably it's still potentially metaphorical and that the one thing that we alluded to earlier that the description of them as literal friends is both perhaps inaccurate on a factual level because like who has once again who has hundreds of real friends friends maybe maybe the, maybe the previous I think does. if you're sitting at the same table yes. at your daughter's wedding your friends here's a clip from our December show the DeGasparis clan has donated something like $126,000 to the PCs it's a lot of money but like the Mario Cordellucci thing we talked about in the last episode, he's the other major developer who will benefit from Highway 413 and who the PCs just named to the York Police Services Board. I just don't know if donations tell the whole story anymore. Like the PCs have already raised $9 million this year. The amount they can fundraise from any family, no matter how big or powerful they are, is like just a drop in the bucket when it comes to that. Like do donations to a political party is that know. enough to get your land turned uh, over? I don't know if it's about like quid money. pro quo. What is it then? I don't know. Maybe just general chumminess, doing favors for each other. That's how many of these people probably have conducted business their whole life. I'm sure that's how Doug Ford operated in the private sector. That's probably how these developers operate in the private sector. It's an exchange of favors. You know, when that extends into government, then you're dealing with public assets, public resources, public money, and it's in, it's a problem. I mean, it that's the thing is like I don't know if like you're right at a certain point. It's like it can't be about money. The money, I mean, like I'm sure the money's appreciated. But not, again, the money doesn't even go like you know, yeah, if the I mean, money like, is raised by the PC party, it doesn't like go in Doug Ford's pocket. It goes to like the organization which uses it to fund salaries and yeah. buy pizza or but the whatever. Money is, for all we know, the money is probably just incidental. Yeah. What I mean, what do we know about Doug Ford? We know that he has a 
great deal of patience for people who have spoken to him in person, for people who talk to him one-on-one, less on the phone. His brother was really on the phone. He has a great deal of patience and will try to go out of of his way to help people with whom he has proximity. And that can mean proximity in a few different things, but including person-to-person interaction. I mean, is it that simple? The question Rob Salerno raised. I mean, it's funny to listen to that. You know, you could listen to it and it could sound like we were alluding to knowledge that Doug Ford was personally enriching himself or his family over the Greenbelt change. And that's why we were like stressing that the money was going to the PC party and not him. But like we weren't. But in other ways, we were like so bang on both that he there had to be another piece to the story than we knew. And also you, Jono, saying that the premier loves to do favors for people he has in-person contact with. And here we go, like people literally sitting at the same table as him at his daughter's wedding. Yeah, it's so weird. Cause I, once again, I still don't think it's about. I feel, I feel like enrichment slightly misleading because it's not about him becoming him or his family becoming wealthier necessarily. I feel like it's more for them about like this would be a good way to get money for this thing. I guess that's kind of the. I don't know why I'm trying to parse it so much, but I feel like they don't they don't see it as as like I am doing this for my own long term benefit for my own long term enrichment. They would see it as like. It just makes sense. We know people with money. Let's have them contribute toward this. And I mean, I think there's also like it's a power flex in some ways too, right? Like I can make you give me money is like, (laughs) I don't know. That is like a a, a position of, of power to be in over someone who is, you know, technically richer than you if we're talking about these developers who are mm, richer yeah. than Ford, right? And no, I don't think that he's, like, when I use the phrase enrichment, I'm not implying no, that he's trying to get richer. But, like, again, like, this was not on the table as a thing we knew Doug Ford did, and now it is. And I think that it mm. the, it changes the the game of um, reporting on him, frankly. (laughs) Although it's also interesting to think that, like, given the things that are allowed, especially as it relates to party fundraising, like Mm -hmm. ahead of elections or between elections, it's not surprising that this is that he would not see any sort of difference with this, right? They they send the invitations to developers all the time to attend Mm -hmm. things for genuine enrichment of the political party. Which itself is like weird and should make you uneasy, but which is totally above board. And I mean, there's other ter- so, like favors that are like so many types of favors mm-hmm. that are done in politics, too. Right. Like that's the whole game. Like even if, you know, lobbyists will run a campaign for like a mm-hmm. smaller PC or like for a PC candidate and a writing they might not win and that's legal right they might not make money off of it but or they use their like time and manpower to like show doug ford they care about the party and Mm -hmm. like that's a favor that could help you along the way too so i mean if you're used to just such a transactional environment then sure maybe bringing that into your tobacco backyard doesn't feel weird but again it is (laughs) yeah but the lines that have that have officially been drawn are so arbitrary as they are. I mean, obviously, you know, for anyone looking at this from the outside, there is a core distinction between raising money for a political party and raising money for, uh, you know, for your daughter's wedding. But at the same time, like, the effect is basically the same. The dynamic is basically the same. I mean, the, the transactional relationship is pretty similar. And so a point where it's not surprising that any sort of distinctions wouldn't even occur to them if you're yeah if you're so used to being in a place in a, an environment which transactional relationships are not just encouraged but like expected mm-hmm. that's how so much of the system works then like 
between enriching your party versus enriching versus you know subsidizing your daughter's wedding um yeah it's it's i i mean it's arguably a problem with the system that the things that are allowed are allowed but i mean ultimately when it comes down to it who gets to decide who the premier is like it is the people of ontario and although they don't get to decide again for a while you know i think if anything's going to really sour the public on Ford that hasn't already, like the, the people that haven't been soured on him already, it's going to be this kind of stuff. Because like people are mad about the Greenbelt and they're going to stay mad about the Greenbelt. And like the, the Greenbelt stuff isn't just going away because there's going to be applications for every time this guy who owns Flato Developments wants to, you know, <laughs> get started on some sort of construction process. So this, like this story and the, what we know so far, and I assume what we're going to find out further down the line, like this is going to haunt the PCs all the way until 2026. And like we're going to get an auditor uh, general report. We're going to get another. So the the integrity commissioner, I guess we can jump to this now. So like, I mean, I suspect this will stick around until the next election will be floating around. I think it's going to fade into the background, perhaps subsumed by bigger, worse scandals. Like I think that's a strong, pos- that's a strong possibility. But I think it'll fade into the background in the face of other things. I mean, there's going to be new opposition leaders. Maybe they'll be better at talking about this kind of stuff than than they were in the last election because I think they kind of have steered clear of kind of going after Ford on this type of thing very well. Quite frankly, the fact that it was rightfully displaced as the top story on Saturday's papers, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, by, you know, other (laughs) breaking news is going to benefit him in the long run. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, what's going to happen next? Um, Merritt Styles, the new NDP leader, says she's going to ask the integrity commissioner to do like an actual investigation mm-hmm. into these incidents. Uh, the, what Doug Ford has referred to in the press conference about him being a cleared a thousand percent, not ninety nine percent, a thousand percent, like isn't really true because all he really did was like bring some information to the integrity commissioner and say, is this okay? And I guess the commissioner said, doesn't violate the Members Integrity Act, like specifically what you told me. So that's different. Like the integrity commissioner can, well, give like advice and opinions like behind closed doors Mm to MPPs and staff. That's what Ford asked for. So it's weird that almost the global ran with the headline integrity commissioner and the headline and the lead, the integrity commissioner clears Ford. Because the the suggestion there is that there was some sort of investigation. Right. Which there emphatically has not been. But there will be. He offered an opinion based on the information Ford provided. And that opinion was like, yeah, I guess it's okay if that's the case. The integrity commissioner really hasn't cleared Ford. They said that the situation, as you described it, would be permissible. Right. And again, I think it is worth stressing that Ontario's Members Integrity Act, which is the law that the Integrity Commissioner uses to make rulings, is like notoriously weak as hell. Basically, every time he does an investigation, 
he finds that whatever happened is okay, no matter how bad it looks, because the law is just very, very weak. And even if he does find something wrong, the punishment is very, very weak. So uh, the real use, honestly, of the Integrity Commissioner politically is just to, like, get him to write reports about stuff that actually, like, have information in them that's on the record that we can read, but, like, and, you know, for the opposition to get headlines, like, saying they made complaints and are asking for stuff. But, like, the actual law is uh, doesn't have teeth. Rarely he will order, like, the slimmest of punishments, but it's something like a formal reprimand from the legislature, usually. But, I mean, it sounds like the Toronto Integrity Commissioner is better if he was doing things like ordering that, like, money gets returned and stuff like well, yeah, that. Yeah, well, the Integrity Commissioner offers recommendations to council and council decides what to do. But basically the the court said, well, that was not appropriate. You can't do that. The legislation only permits you to basically reprimand them or doc- members of council pay up to, like, 90 days. So, um, yeah, that would make sense. It would totally make sense if they had to pay it back. And that would be a good solution. But that was tur- turned out to be um, – Illegal. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, no. everybody's overstepping their pants around here. <laughs> For his part, Ford is adamantly denying any wrongdoing, as he tends to do. And I uh, was getting quite annoyed at the, pre- at the press conference on Friday morning. Nothing gets under his skin like things relating to his daughters. It's something we've seen again and again in all kinds of contexts, including, you know, the time the Toronto Sun offered a groveling apology for a story about Kyla's cookies, which had unfortunately had like a KKK acronym. And there'll be like other cases where Ford's office will come down harder on daughter-related stuff than on anything else. And you could see, and he very rarely talks directly about his family in press conferences, and you could definitely see here him just like trying not to lose his shit. This was very entertaining. So... Now is a good time to talk about why Doug Ford brought this to the attention of the Integrity Commissioner in the first place. Great idea. The first reporter, so far as we know, to have asked his office about this, this was back in, I think, in January, uh, was Charlie Pinkerton at Queen's Park Briefing. At that point, Ford went to the Integrity Commissioner, got this opinion, like, ah, oh, it's all good. So as they were writing this story, they got to the end of writing. It didn't quite get to the point of publishing the story. Around the same time as they were public, about to be publishing the story, the ownership of Queen's Park Briefing changed hands. Queen's Park Briefing was, or is slash was, Torstar's attempt to create a paywalled, I don't know, is it a newsletter as well, or just a paywalled high-level information source about Queen's Park that would be sold to people in, you know, industry, lobbyists, in government, academic institutions, that sort of thing. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Basically, I mean, as far, I mean, as far as I'm aware, they sort of just saw that Allison's Queen's Park Today business model seemed to work really well and decided to start up their own thing, sort of like how they saw Namazine was doing pretty well and they made iWeekly. It was a good publication, although I can't say I read it often because, as I said, it was mostly paywalled. That was a Torstar thing. That's long been a Torstar thing. At a certain point a few years ago, Torstar bought, bought iPolitics, which was a separate Ottawa-based thing, and they kind of combine those new, kind of combine the editorial structures there. So there's one editor in chief overseeing that whole team, offering these specialized products about Queens Park and about Parliament Hill. Now the Torstar owned that, but also then the questions, well, who owns Torstar? Of course, a couple <laughs> years ago, Torstar, or like two and a half years ago now, Torstar was sold to these two guys, two wealthy guys, uh, Jordan Batov and Paul Rivette 
who had this plan to, you know, make it all work through e-gaming and such. That didn't quite go as planned. They had a really messy divorce last fall, divided up the business. Jordan Batov, who by most accounts is the one who likes journalism more, ended up getting the Toronto Star and the Metroland newspapers. Whereas Paul Rivette somehow ended up with publications including iPolitics and Queen's Park Briefing. He definitely has very much been on the record as having a a very different conception of what journalism is and ought, how it ought to operate. There's a documentary that goes into this that we played a clip of on this week's past this week's Monday show, this week's Candleland, if you care to listen to that. You know, our reporter, Sheree, after the screening of that documentary, our reporter, Sheree, just, you know, got him to try to explain himself in some things. And he got, he got to the point where he was saying, like, well, if, you know, if we're trying to sell snow tires— we shouldn't be writing all these stories about how, you know, people shouldn't be driving cars. Like, that's not how it works. Like, he really is into trying to align the various interests of the editorial parts of a business with its with the, the business interest parts of the business. And how can they more directly support each other and speak to each other? All of which is to say it was not the most surprising thing to find out that Charlie Pinkerton and the editor-in-chief quit – Queen's Park briefing shortly after Rivette took over. Like literally the day of almost the official so. transaction. Yeah. Due to allegations of editorial interference. Now, we don't know from where the editorial interference came. The Stars reported that they got the message from the publisher and they don't, the publisher, and they, we don't know from whom the publisher was getting the message. There are other owners and interests and people on the board and yeah, so basically on one day, three people from Queen's Park Briefing were laid off. And then shortly after, this reporter, Charlie Pinkerton, and the editor-in-chief, Jessica Smith-Cross, both publicly, very publicly, tweeted that they were resigning in principle. And it soon came out it had to do with this article being spiked. How uh, often, like, I can't think of the last time someone's resigned in principle from, like, Canadian media. That really doesn't yeah, happen very often. Uh, or at least that they publicly announced as much at yeah. the time. And it was because the publisher, they, they just didn't want to run this story about the wedding. But once again, as we've seen in other cases in the past, when things concern the premier's family, his daughters, his office seems seems to go out of their way to try to shut that, apply pressure to make sure that, to shut that down or in the case of even from the Toronto Sun, uh, you know, extract a groveling apology. So it would not at all surprise me if that was the if that were the angle, if that were the element of it that resulted in pressure to which someone may have buckled. We also don't know they got government pressure, but I think that's... I think what we know, though, is that once those questions started getting asked of the premier's office, the premier's office, like, leapt to some sort of action, right, because they went to the integrity commissioner. That's not something they would normally do immediately in response to journalism questions, really. So there is indications that this overall story irked them more Mm -hmm. than general stories about Doug Ford dead. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But it is amazing that basically this whole, the politics, there's no one left at Queen's Park briefing, right? It's good as knows will they even, will even be resuscitated. I'm not, I'm not even sure. I mean, I can't speak to that. I mean, I think I like I have a conflict of interest here. I should disclose like I'm a Queen's Park today has been a competitor of QP briefing for a very long time. And I guess still is unclear. They haven't published anything um, in almost seven days, I guess, five days. 
But like, you know, even I don't like this. Like, I want there to be more journalists at Queen's Park, too. Like, this sucks. Um, I feel really bad for the reporters and editors. And like, it's wild. You know, it's it's just a very wild, like. Yeah, it is wild for a publication to like blow up in one day over something that over a scandal like this. I feel like there's something you read about happening in American media almost on a one, like every month or so, but Well, it's like have... if they can't hack this story, like the publishers, like what are they yeah. ever going to write? Yes. And so anyway, we should also say that Charlie Pinkerton then did take his story to the Toronto Star, which is owned by, of course, Jordan Batov, the other guy, a rich guy. And uh, then that was the story that was that they published following up on Global Story from the Thursday. So it was an eventful week, even before we got to the mayor of the province's largest city resigning. Yeah, crazy that like Doug Ford throwing a stag and doe for his daughter kind of created this like yeah. uh, tailspin in, in Canadian media, which I mean, in some ways isn't surprising, but it's, you know, sho- uh, shocking at least when it when it happens. It was a, a, sh- a shocking week, I would say. I mean, it's a pretty compelling end to the Jordan Bitov, Paul Rivette saga because, you know, within the same day, that like officially these assets from Torstar go into Rivette's hands, it blows up. And then within two days of that, the Toronto Star is now publishing stories about their former owner's new company putting pressure on on editorial. And the star is running Charlie Pinkerton's story that was supposed to go in QP briefing. And like, I mean, however much um, Paul Rivette gives a shit about that, probably maybe not much at all. But it's, I mean, in some ways it's like, if we go back to the beginning of the Paul Rivette bit of uh, taking over the Toronto Star together, we're going to save the star. Um, this is quite the quite oh, the yeah. end to that story. <laughs> and now it's time for foreseeable, foreseeable disaster, disaster of the month. <laughs> Allison, what is your foreseeable disaster of the month? My foreseeable disaster of the month is uh, news that we got last week that the Up Express, the airport train in Toronto that's really only like eight or 10 years old, 80% of its fleet of trains has been grounded due to thermal cracks discovered in their brake discs. Uh. This has left Metrolinx with only four functioning train cars left. Uh, The line was completely down on Saturday, sending buses to and from Pearson instead. Service has resumed, but less frequently. And like, God damn it, that's like literally the only nice thing the province has made in how long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it started off really bad, but then when they lowered the price to something reasonable, it actually got really good. And it's good. actually like a although, really good service. And it's like, no, of course that's broken. Are you guys crazy? Although, like, well, it's not so nice that it wasn't able to stand in for New Jersey Transit on uh, what we do in the shadows, which is shot in Toronto. What's your foreseeable disaster? My foreseeable disaster is that there will be a by-election coming up for Toronto mayor. And Doug Ford will and his party will undoubtedly have a preferred candidate. And because they are the province and the city is the city, Doug Ford and his people can control all the rules, can pass laws doing pretty much anything with virtually no limits, especially if they want to include the notwithstanding clause. So if Doug Ford doesn't like the outcome of election, he could just appoint a friend of his as mayor of Toronto. And although that would certainly be challenged in court and go all the way up to the Supreme Court, based on past Supreme Court decisions, I would say that his legal arguments would actually have the edge. Yeah, or else, 
like uh, some sort of left-wing mayor gets elected and there's a you know, like weak mayors can't wear shoes in, in Toronto, Bill. Yeah, it's worth remembering that John Tory has been the only mayor of Toronto in the time that Doug Ford has been premier. And I think they want to keep it someone they have a particular type of relationship with. And I think sooner than punish, I mean, they could just punish someone they don't like, but I think they would rather just ensure that it is someone they do like and will do whatever they can to change the rules mid-election if necessary to ensure that they get their way. It's going to be a fun election. We don't know the timing yet. Maybe you will by the time you hear this. But uh, yeah, no, it's an election. And I think with the very first episode of Wag the Dog, I used the comparison of when we were talking about the count, his cut to the size of council mid-election as it being like duck amok, that that Warner, that Looney Tunes cartoon where Bugs Bunny is the animator who is who is torturing Daffy Duck by sort of constantly changing the laws, the properties of physics and the environment and everything around him. And we're going to go into another one of these where it's an election with constantly shifting landscape, won't begin to describe it, a constant, will likely be a constantly shifting legislative environment uh, with, uh, yeah, an incredible wild card we've never encountered before. And that was Wag the Doug, a show about Doug Ford and his developer buddies. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. You can find me on Twitter at Goldsby on Mastodon at Goldsby and some other words, probably, and occasionally hosting Shortcuts, which is the media criticism show that comes out Thursdays on the main Candleland feed. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at @queensparktoday or at politicstoday.news/freetrial uh, if you are uh, missing a certain subscription and uh, might need Queens Park Today in your inbox every morning. Our producer is Katie Lore, Annette Ijofo is our managing editor, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. Go to canadaland.com slash join to help us keep this podcast going. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.